Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Greg McEwen. And as I've been thinking about you and this theme that we come back to on this podcast all the time about thinking about what's essential, thinking strategically instead of thinking reactively, it's almost like I'm taking it for granted, as many people do, that we know how to do that, that we know what it means and how to put it into practice. In this part two of my interview with Rich Haworth, we dig into that. Rich spent years providing strategic planning, coaching, advising, running sessions with corporations, executive teams. But as he was providing executive coaching to one of his clients, they said, well, listen, my boss has said, I need to be more strategic, but what does it mean? And that was the beginning of a whole new phase of Rich's life and his career, as he started to think, well, really, what does it mean? And how can we apply some of these tools and frameworks that have become so useful in the enterprise space, in the business environment, to help people in their lives? By the end of this episode, you'll have a better insight in not only how to be successful in the life of business, but also in the business of life. Let's get to it. Remember that if you do want to get more out of this episode, go to gregmcewen.com and read the show notes. We've selected carefully questions, insights that help you to be able to apply the ideas we talk about in today's episode immediately in your life. That's gregmcewen.com forward slash podcast. So creating value. I assumed when you used that phrase, that would mean the discovery of value. That is to say to somebody, so let me say I'm saying to my wife, Anna, what's disproportionately important to her? Let me understand her better so that I can make sure that whatever I'm doing is relevant to her, that I don't waste time doing things that are low value add to her, mm -hmm. or, or even could even have a negative value. My motives can be just as intentional, but I'm working on the wrong stuff. Right. I've done that many times in, in, with Anna, with the children. I've done it in my business too. You're putting tons of effort into the wrong things or mm -hmm. the low value things. Is that what you mean by create value? Yes, I, I think absolutely that's what I mean by it. And I think also you can get to that through observation. Uh, it's it's not just asking them; it's ob observing them. And what I would say is one one tool that I use with executives and individuals is called the value mining matrix. And in simple forms, in, in simple terms, the value mining matrix asks us to think about what are the current needs of the people who are serving. So, what are those current needs? And now let's break those down and ask ourselves, how can we bring them new value with their current needs? But then the second part of that is, what are the problems, issues, or challenges that they have that no one has adequately addressed yet that I potentially could help them with? So what would be my ideas to create value in those two ways? Looking at their current needs, 
and then also the problems, issues, challenges that they that I'm observing or that they're talking about, and how can I bring value in those areas? Is that second question really just about unmet needs? You know, they, these are things that are not being adequately met by other people. Is that right? Yes, yes, exactly. So it's needs that are being met by different people that maybe I could also meet, but also unmet needs. Nobody is providing this for this person. So if I provide it, then because there's not there's no competition for it, but also it's an totally unmet need, so the value is higher because you know unmet needs motivate. Is that right? Yes, that per- perfectly said. Yes. Okay. I mean, I understand what the word observe means, but give me more behavioral. Like I'm watching somebody. How do we observe accurately without asking, which is I think what you just said, somebody's unmet need? Well, first of all, I think most people are not observing at all. The research shows about 70% of, interesting, 70% of air traffic control mistakes are the fact that they have the data there on the screen, but they didn't observe it in a way that was actionable. So I would say in in our everyday lives, very few people are observing others. Most people are really locked in into that mental rut of what's on my plate and what's important to me today. So I would say step one is, are you really observing? Are you really aware of the people around you. We can get into the whole emotional intelligence piece, but it it starts with what's that awareness mean? And what I would say is give yourself a checklist. Have you observed someone for more than 30 seconds today? That's part of the checklist. Have you observed someone for 30 seconds? If you have, what were their emotions? What were their needs? What was communicated? That's number two on the checklist. And number three, what could I do with that? Is there anything actionable out of that? So those are three points of a checklist that I would suggest most of us, including myself sometimes, are not doing. Yeah, I really like that checklist. That first question of observing somebody for 30 seconds, just shelving your own agenda and really watching somebody is, I think it is rare. You know, 30 seconds without just checking your phone, 30 seconds without being stuck in your own head with your own agenda, filling, especially if somebody's extroverted, filling the space with their own words, their own problems, their own concerns about the moment and about the day. So we've got that checklist. Now what? So once we have the checklist, then it gets to what you mentioned a moment ago. It's the confirmation of my observation. So that involves then the conversation. That really is about, here's what I'm observing. Here's what I'm seeing, you know, and and here's what I'm thinking could be of value to you, but I want to check with you. Does this make sense? Are you in this state? Does this truly matter to you? And if it does, do you think these actions would be of help? I think too often we rush to a solution before stepping back to say, what are the alternatives that could be of value? And that involves interaction. It's not just us coming up with the new value. It's saying, this is the observation. These are the range of things that I think could be of value. What do you think? In business, we run into this case all the time, Greg, and I'm sure sure you've seen it. Too many managers dump their problems in the laps of their leadership and say, here's the problem. What should we do? Great leaders want their people to come to them to have the mental muscle to say, here's the problem. Here's the situation. Here are the five solutions I came up with, and here's the one I'm recommending. What observations would you have on that situation? So to your point, the second part is really that confirmation through conversation. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. 
selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, there's a few places to go with that. One is that I read some really interesting research by Epsi, I think is, is the professor's name. And according to the research that he ran, he, he found that you had to get out of perspective guessing and into perspective getting. Mm-hmm. And I liked that language choice that actually what's correlated with better understanding is better asking that you really actually just have to ask them. If you want to give somebody a great Christmas present, you have to ask them what they want for Christmas. And that will give you far better data than guessing what they want for Christmas. So it feels like there's a little magic lost perhaps in that, but you actually just perform better in the end if you ask. So, So the only concern I have with what you've shared so far in this step by step process of these three overarching questions is that in relationships, it's quite a tactical, actionable approach rather than a focus on understanding. And so often in relationships, understanding is the thing. Mm -hmm. There might be a time for action, but there is enormous gains to be had just by genuinely understanding what's really going on. And that's because in a lot of instances, the other person doesn't understand themselves what is going on. And so if you can create the space to understand with them, everybody has gained this discovery before you take action and then get accused for being reactive, even though you're taking action in an effort to address what you've observed. So I'm just wanting to ask about where that is in this process. 
I'd like to suggest that understanding is only realized through action. If I truly understand what my wife, Anne, is going through, then my actions should show that understanding. So maybe she needs a night uh, on her own and she wants time on her own. Or maybe she needs a night to go out with her friends. Or maybe she wants a romantic evening with me. If I understand what her needs are, then my actions will dictate one of those courses. And again, <laughs> through verification. Now, Greg, I'm not always successful. Trust me on that. I, I want your wife to come and join the podcast right now. <laughs> because what you just said, I, I don't know. But I hypothesize that what you just said is 50% true, which means it's 50% untrue. It's like clearly <laughs> correct action produces, you know, obviously all talk and no action doesn't help. But it just strikes me as a sort of a certain mindset that says it's all about the action. And this is precisely the reason I'm raising the question, is that I think there's an enormous amount to be gained from actual understanding and affirmation and validation of those things that sometimes, excuse me, but I'll say it this way, I think that stereotypically men move to action rather than understanding, entirely misunderstanding what the real need is. We, we assume well, it has to be the action, but actually it is the understanding. What's your reaction? I would say that we definitely don't do as good of a job with understanding, which is one of the reasons I brought up the checklist earlier. But again, I do think action is going to signal to the other person that they're understood. If we don't give them the appropriate actions or a range of actions, then that understanding, and again, we go back to, the, I pre you know, preset this all with the idea that thinking is what we're missing. We're missing that isolation. We're missing that ability to think, to reason, to understand. And that builds into then the action that needs to happen. So I think we're saying the same things, maybe a little bit differently. And certainly I'm not a marriage counselor, but it's, 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 don't hold me there. <laughs> we're not but. saying the same things. Okay. We're not saying the same things, but it doesn't mean that what you're saying is wrong. I'm not saying that I am right and you're wrong, but I think there is a distinction between action and just understanding, precise, deep affirmation about what somebody is really experiencing and really wanting. And this pre presupposition, which I think is a kind of business orientation, mm -hmm. that action and results are the primary value is it means that like there's a book that was written a few years ago, well, uh, more than a few years ago, probably 30 years ago. And it was like how to make sure that your business goals don't wreck your life, something mm. like that. Okay. But it was specifically about the way of thinking in business and how mm. it's different outside of business. And so you can become quite competent in a business environment and then you get home and you go, right, well, what we need to do is have a strategic plan and we're going to have our specific goals and it's about action and results. And it's like, yeah, that's not going to work here because the whole value set is different. The objective isn't action and results. The objective is infinite relationship, that the mm -hmm. relationship goes on and on. So I just wonder about this even though I think we ought to probably get back to these three questions and how to apply them. Yeah, one other note. There's another tool that I've used both in business and individuals called the contextual radar. So it's four areas. If you think of a radar screen in business, it would be market, customers, competitors, and company. And in the individual situation, it would be mind, 
body, spirit, and relationships. And that speaks to exactly what you're talking about, Greg, is you have to be able to observe. And this contextual radar gives you a way to put your observations down on paper to say, here are the things I'm observing, and then get that verification. So that's a tool for observation and understanding, to your point. Uh, but like I said, I do think that action has to follow that thinking <laughs> and understanding. So. Hey, listen, I, we're agreed that action will matter to people. People, if you understand them and they want you to take action and you don't, then you haven't demonstrated full understanding. But if you take action when somebody just wants to be understood and that is the point of it, and then you take action, I think it can create damage because it genuinely shows misunderstanding. Anyway, it, it, we don't need to get too hung up on it. Help. Let's go back to these three overarching questions. We definitely caught the first one. So now the second was how to after how to create value, it's how to deliver value. What does that mean in the kind of setting we're talking about? So you've done the observation, you've written down some observations, you've gone and validated them, said, hey, listen, is this what matters to you? Are these the kinds of actions that would help to alleviate this for you? Then what we see when we think about deliver value is we're too scripted in life. We do things, the same things in the same ways day after day, and that involves both business and our personal relationships. We're too scripted. So that the key point around deliver is deviate from the norm. We have to think about how can we deliver this value differently than we have in the past? What are the, the mechanisms to help us do that, the tools, the techniques that are going to help us deliver value in a different way so that it resonates with people at a deeper level? So deliver think deliver and deviation. We've got to deviate from the norm. Otherwise, our delivery gets lost in everything that's out there because it's too boring, it's too scripted, it's too mundane. Okay, so I'm going to keep on taking it back into like the personal environment, which maybe sure. is a test. But in that environment, it would be looking at how I've been doing it in the past versus, hey, let's try and do this in a more inventive, innovative way. Try something that's fresh, something that that, that shows new thought that isn't just running the old uh, playbook, you know, again and again without any thought going into it. This is what you're saying. Yes. And I believe one of the key techniques here, key tools is domain jumping. So whether, so let's say with the personal relationship, if we ask ourselves, okay, how would a company approach this? How would an industry approach this? How would a, a discipline like science or psychology or aerospace engineering approach this, this, this situation? I believe domain jumping is something that does help people deviate from the norm, borrowing good ideas, good techniques from other areas. And it's as simple as asking a few questions. How would Apple approach this? How would Spotify approach this situation? How would they deliver value in this relationship? Yeah, I just saw an interesting interview with Jeff Bezos from years ago, and it was about listening. And he said, we all know that if you don't listen properly to your customers, then you're going to fail. He said, and then there's another part of this, which is, I mean, he framed it this way. He said, there's the things you shouldn't listen to from your customers. It's not listening, which you don't have to frame it that way. But, but what he went on to say is, it's not your customer's job to help you invent the solutions for them. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very nicely expressed, that they already have a job providing inventive solutions to their customers, whoever those customers are, business customers or in a personal setting. 
And, and so I like this idea that we ought to be listening very actively and engaged in understanding whoever it is we're trying to connect with and serve. But when it comes to solutions, yes, we can talk about it together, but also that's sort of the job that we need to do so that we bring them a solution, that we bring them something that, that hopefully sparks joy that is surprising and delightful. That's the job itself when we, it's sort of the second half of, of listening, maybe the second half of innovation. Any reactions to that? Yeah, I mean, go back to Henry Ford. You know, his point was, you know, if yeah. we asked our customers what they want, they would say faster horses. They wouldn't say automobiles. So I agree with you completely, Greg. I think it's that keen observation, awareness, going through the checklist, understanding how we deviate from the norm, and then borrowing ideas from other areas to apply that. Move us on to the third of these three parts of the value creation model. Yeah. So now we're thinking about how do we capture value? So in a business setting, obviously, we think about things like, do we sell this product? Do we li license the product? Do we set up a subscription model, a brokerage model? So that on the business side, it makes pretty intuitive sense that we want to explore the different ways we capture that value and then bring it to customers. From a, an individual standpoint, we want to think about what does success look like for ourselves and the other people in our relationships. So again, we don't want to assume that what success for Greg looks like looks the same for his wife or for me or for, for our children. It's going to look differently. So before we can capture value, we need to understand what does success look like for those people. And we say success, we're not talking just financial success. We're talking about fulfillment, uh, life happiness, th you know, those types of things. But what does that mean? What does success mean for those people in our lives, whether it's our children, our spouse and, and, or friends. But isn't that part of that first question where you're trying to understand them, observe them, what does success mean to you? Like value capture in a business setting is, is like, how are you going to get paid for your work? Is mm -hmm. there an equivalent of that in a personal setting? Yeah, I think the, the payment is fulfillment in the relationship. It's the emotional, it's the understanding, it's the listening. It's all of those things that make a relationship a two-way interaction versus here's what I think is best for you, this is what you're going to get. So to your point, the create part is coming up with what are the things to help you with your needs, your problems, your challenges. The capture part is really now, if we take those things in step one, the problems, issues, challenges, what does good look like? Like at the end of the day. So it, it's a little bit of a, a difference from the create to the capture. Yeah. I'm still curious about this on the capture side. Like, is there a way to apply the idea of value capture from a business in a relationship setting? And, and we're just riffing on this together, but, but capture is about making sure the business is paid right? Like mm -hmm. it's about how do you get that value? You can create a lot of value. You can deliver a lot of value and your business can still be broke. Yes. You know, so, so clearly it's a necessary part of a business environment. Similarly, in a personal setting, it seems mm -hmm. to me that if you both create value and deliver value, there isn't this capture of value, then you could be in quite a toxic relationship because maybe you are giving and, and somehow you're not receiving, it's not reciprocal. And, and so you could be in a codependent relationship, for example. So what does capture look like in a relationship? Maybe you don't have the answer immediately right there, but I want to push on it to get a more, a, a closer fit to what you mean by 
value capture in a business environment. Well, I, I like where you're going with the reciprocity. I think that's certainly going to be part of it. I, I think it comes down to what what does a good relationship fulfill? And if we ask ourselves, if we ask our partners, our families, what does a good relationship fulfill? I think number one, it's that I'm heard, that I'm understood, that I'm listened to. It's that go, let's go back to empathy. It's empathy. So I'm heard. I've got a voice in this relationship. Number two, there's care involved. So there's an understanding that I'm a human being. I've got emotions. I've got feelings. So whatever I'm delivering to you in our relationship, I'm doing it with care. Not necessarily, it may not be what you want to hear, or what you want to see, but I'm doing it because I believe it's what's, what's best for you based on what you've communicated to me. So I think it's that empathy, it's the care, and then I think at the end of the day, it's how did you, how do you, how do we as a team su- define success as a family, as a couple? What does success look like? So I think if we think empathy, care, and success, I would say those are the things. Again, just thinking top, you know, out, thinking out out of our our, our here. I, th- I think that's what the, what I see. Yeah. So the idea is in capture. The first two are about what value you're creating for them. Capture is about getting that value back to you. So I think it's about being proactive in speaking up for yourself about what you want from them so that it doesn't just lead to a relationship that's one-sided. And and of course, ideally, both parties to a relationship or all parties to a, a larger group relationship are trying to follow this process. But I think that's the idea. Value capture is about making sure that you're getting what you need out of the relationship so that you're having your unmet needs met and trying to make that as explicit and clear and open, even though that's vulnerable to do it, so that you really do end up with something that's mutually beneficial, rewarding. And so back to something I said earlier, you get the infinite relationship. So you get the right to play the game again tomorrow, next week, and ongoing, that you have a healthy relationship that lasts for a long time. Uh, rather than one that either breaks down mm-hmm. or lasts a long time but's dysfunctional and toxic the whole time. I think that to me is a decent application of what value capture looks like in a relationship setting. I think that's beautifully said and I can't add anything to that. Give us the last word. We need to be more strategic in our thinking. We need to be able to create space to be able to do it. I've pushed you, hounded you a little bit here to try to apply this outside of a a business-only context, and I think we've come to something that captures my attention and gives me something to think about as I go forward, but give us the final word. Well, one of the things you uh, introduced in your book, Essentialism, was the idea of editing, the importance of editing. You talked about the Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Film Editing. That's something that stayed with me over the last nine years since you wrote that book, And, and I think that if we can decide what we're not about, what we're not going to do, what's not important to us, that really then shines a crystal light on what is important. And again, for me, it's got to be one or two things that are going to drive my purpose, my passion, why I get up each day. And I need then to take time in isolation to think about those things, because if I'm going to have new growth for my business or my life, I have to have the time, the space, and the tools to think about that new growth and in, in that deviating from the norm. So I really think it's about new growth comes from new thinking. We've got to give ourselves the time, the space, and the tools to allow that new thinking to blossom. Yeah, to be able to prune the way that we've been doing it, the way that 
We've been trying to create value before, trying to deliver value and trying to capture value, right? There's a way we've been doing it. It's perfectly aligned with the results and the relationships we're in today. If we want to improve those things, we have to improve our thinking. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Greg. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you, really. Thank you for listening. What is one idea that stood out from this conversation with Rich Howarth? What is one thing that you can do differently immediately? And who can you share this with? Who could help you to be able to apply these ideas like an accountability partner? We're seeing so many people provide reviews, provide ratings of this podcast. It's really encouraging to see that. If you can take a moment to write a review yourself, just go to gregmcewan.com forward slash essential to be able to take advantage of a great offer that we're running right now. I'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.